As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Welcome to Brothers in Arms, brought to you by Catholic Men for Jesus Christ, with your hosts, George Rose and Bill Maher. Stay tuned as George, Bill, and their guests discuss topics relevant to Catholic men living out their faith in today's challenging world. And now, here are the hosts of Brothers in Arms, George Rose and Bill Maher. Well, good evening, my brothers, as you trek about New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia, amid a house divided. <laughs> Friday, November 6th. This is, almost uh, perfectly divided. <laughs> almost perfectly divided. Um, I, I know um, a lot of people out there are upset. Some people elated. We're all Americans. We're all children of God. And if you're listening to this, you're probably a Catholic. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it, I'm, I'm having a tough time maybe for the first time in my life, finding words at, at what's going on. It's uh, very interesting times we're in, huh? Well, Billy, why don't we turn to our uh, blessed of the month oh, to start the show yes. with, okay, before let's, we jump let, into all that. <laughs> let's, let, let us uh, start off on a positive Yes, note. we always are our, our saint of the month, right? <laughs> it's actually not a saint. It's a, it's a blessed, yes. uh, blessed Solanus Casey. Uh, good Irishman. Um, I just had a knock today. <laughs> yes. Good Irishman, Solanus Casey. Uh, he was born in November 1870 on a farm in western Wisconsin. He died in July 1957. Uh, he was beatified on November 18th, 2017, by Pope Francis, uh, who approved a miraculous healing that is attributed to, uh, to Solanus Casey. And <clears throat> originally he was... Uh, um, designated venerable by Pope John Paul yep. II in um, 1995. So his feast day is actually July 30th. But when I was looking, doing my research on, on the internet, as we all do, I found somewhere that said it was November 3rd. I was like, oh, this is a good oh, one. Interesting. Election day. Wisconsin. Too, yeah, huh? but, and he's from Wisconsin, <laughs> but it turns out his feast day is actually July 30th. So, so you got to be kind of careful what you see on the internet sometimes, right? Um but he was beatified in November, so we got that going for us, right? Very cool. <clears throat> anyway, he was, uh, his parents were Irish immigrants, both of them, and he was the sixth of, get this, 16 children. Wow. Six boys and 10 girls, Turns I believe. Turns me into a slacker, huh? <clears throat> yeah, he doubled your, your and Jen's count. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Six, <laughs> Sixteen. Sixteen. Well, it was a different day. In 1870. It was a different day. And he day. was number six. Wow. Well, a lot of them didn't live long. I mean, they, I mean, God reality, bless that woman. My uh, my <laughs> great grandmother was. Oh, I'm sorry. My great not that's not true either. My grandfather yeah. was number seventeen out of nineteen single births. Holy 17 cow! Seventeen out of nineteen. It's, it's How about that? I mean, superwoman, and she lived to like ninety four. Wow! You know, I, I I swear that God gives a woman an extra year of life for every child that she brings into the world. So she yeah. should have been gone at seventy four. She lived to ninety four because yeah. she had practically twenty kids. And each one comes with a loaf of bread. Right? That's what my As mother used say. to say. That's that's <laughs> an old Irish saying right there. So, um, blessed Solanus, um, Father Casey, um, he worked. You know, he, he had a you know very devout childhood. Obviously, his parents brought him up in the faith, and uh, he had a naturally uh, very easygoing, uh, generous personality who responded well with people, you know, mm -hmm. that priestly temperament, sure. even at a young age. 
Um, and he worked uh, uh, as a young man. He left home so he could earn some money and help support the family. He worked in Wisconsin and Minnesota uh, as a logger, a hospital orderly, a prison guard, and a streetcar operator. He was like one of the first streetcar operators in the country, I believe, in Detroit. Mm. And um, the turning point in his life was when he was 21 years old as a streetcar operator. He witnessed a drunk sailor uh, murder a woman on the train tracks Wow! Uh, with a knife, watched her get stabbed to death. And then that was really the turning point. He, th- he then decided, I need to act on this call I have to the priesthood. I need to explore this and look at it. So um, he prayed. He wasn't sure... Uh, which way to go? Um, there were different orders. I think he probably to like the, the Capuchins, the uh, Fr- uh, the Franciscans, uh, the Jesuits, and originally he first went to a uh, a German uh, monastery um, or seminary, I should say. I believe it was in Detroit, uh, but all the all the um, teaching and language was in German, and he didn't do that great. So he left there after uh, a few years, mm-hmm. or after he graduated, I think, in four years. But his um, you know, his grades weren't weren't so great, and they kind of said, you know, I think we should part ways. So they did, and then he applied to those three orders, and he ended up, he asked his mother and one of his sisters to pray a novena with him, which would end on the uh, Feast of the Immaculate Conception, and um, he heard the words uh, uh, in front of the Eucharist when they ended the, the uh, rosary, the novena, uh, I want you to go to Detroit. <laughs> mm. So his... So he was a Tigers fan. Maybe, yeah. They, they were playing back then. But, but you know, but his uh, vocation was blessed and supported by the Blessed Mother, you know. So um, he was uh, what you call a simplex priest. So because um, even in the other seminary, um, he did not have he was he wasn't a great student. You now, maybe like St. John Vianney kind of, um, you know, got passing grades, but um, didn't excel. But uh, so he became a simplex priest, which means you are a priest, but you don't have the. Uh, faculties to uh, give absolution, so you can't hear confession, or uh, preach homily at a mass, which I'd never heard of that until I read about um, about Solanus. So, but that turned out to be, you know, a blessing for him uh, because despite being a priest, this limited ministry meant that he was given jobs usually done by lay brothers. So he became the doorkeeper at, uh, at the, the uh, monastery where he was at. And people would come to him uh, all the time uh, to see him. They would ask for his count because he would. He always had time for it. He never turned anybody away when they came. And and the the word started to spread. People would would come and ask for his counsel or get his blessing. He spent 20 years in New York, mm-hmm. uh, believe it or not, at St. John's right near Penn Station. There's a little uh, church right there. I think I've been there many times. Uh, but those, those old churches are gorgeous, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. In the city. Well, this one's actually not so gorgeous. I don't. It's it, you wouldn't even know it's a church looking from the outside if it's the one I'm thinking of. It's right across the street, um, on like 30th Street. Uh, but uh, his first assignment was at Sacred Heart Friar in Yonkers. He was later transferred uh, to the city where he was at St. John's next to Penn Station. Late later, he was at Our Lady Queen of Angels in Harlem. So he was all over the city. Um, he then went back to um, went back to Detroit and served as the porter at St. Bonaventure's Monastery. And his days of listening and consoling, advising and blessing could start at 7 a.m. and they would last until 10 p.m. Hopeless medical cases from blindness to gangrene to birth defects to cancer were cured. 
People on the brink of mental and spiritual despair found new life. He helped young people discern vocations, and he brought those disgusted with religion back to the faith. They said some of the most remarkable healings were the spiritual ones mm-hmm. that he did, um, which is always the case, right? Uh, it's more miraculous than a physical healing quite often. So he was um, uh, an amazing priest, a humble guy. He died in 1957. Um and you know he was he was a worker, he, a working class guy, who heard the call and followed up on it, you know, and became a, a great priest. And I'm sure he's going to be become a saint. They're just waiting for that second miracle. Yeah, he certainly had impact on a lot of people. And over twenty thousand people passed his sarcophagus. That's right. Yeah. Yep. At, at when his, he uh, when he lied in yeah, state, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Twenty thousand people. So he's one of those guys that. When he died, uh, people responded. Like yeah. I'm sure all the stories started coming uh, out of the woodwork. You know, like oh, he did this, that, and, and no, been um, such a humble guy. Incredibly you know, it's, it's humble. a great lesson in in what one person, how how that one person, one holy person, can do to affect others. You know. Yeah, and, and you know very what, quiet about it. And you know what, Billy, just being available. I always hear Jez yeah. Ford talk about this, <laughs> mm. being available to other people. You know, um, having the time for them. Without that, nothing happens. Yeah. Right. And I'm guilty of that. I'm busy with work and what's going on, even, you know, in my own family. Do I always have the time? But this guy just basically said, I'm going to dedicate my life to being available to people and make the time. It's like, it's always going to be there. Never turned anybody away. Yeah. And that's a great thing. You know, what a great example for us. Yeah. So hopefully soon, St. Solanus Casey. Pray for us, right? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. We we know it's going to happen at some point. Well, uh, and, and obviously, every, anyone who's in heaven is a saint, right? So we're we're just what you know. It's all about what we recognize here on earth with our limited understanding, right? Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. I'm kind of surprised that, or, or maybe I should add, maybe you know more about this than me, but uh, they said there were tons of miraculous healings, physical healings, when he was alive as a priest. You know, tumors disappeared, things like that. Um, I think it's post. Uh, they, they need a certain number of miracles as well as part of the process uh, going to his cause. It is post. So, it is yeah. after after this person has died. Two miracles, right? But I, I'm just I just wonder why the miracles while you perform while you are alive don't. Well, I think we need a canon lawyer for that. Uh, yeah. We have a bishop that is a canon lawyer. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to be here anytime too soon. But um, but yeah, that, yeah that's a good. Right? We need a canon lawyer for that one. I'm not exactly a. I'm not a, a lay lawyer. Neither am I. We'll have to look into that and report back to you guys in the Sorry, next show. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but worth looking into as we uh, kind of gear up and, and head to break. But uh, again, great, great uh, future saint, blessed for us to uh, really reflect on in these crazy times. It's a reflection in simplicity and simplicity and love of neighbor, I think, more than anything else. So mm. we will see you guys in two minutes. It started like it does for many people, question my faith and question authority. And I feel that the reason why I left was the, the draw of the world. The world was pulling me away. Some people would say, you know, Satan would, you know, Satan was working on me. He did not want me in church. He wanted me to be desperate. He wanted me to have uh, the thoughts of suicide. I started to realize that a lot of the things that I experienced in my life were a result of my rebellion against God and against authority. Coming back to the church is the first step 
in healing from all of the hurts of the world. I went from being desperate and in despair to finding hope and encouragement for, for the future. I'm on God's team. I, I know who I belong to and I know where I'm going and there's nothing that can separate me from God's love. Take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. We asked people all over America, what have you done for your marriage today? Boy, I gave a huge hug this morning, like a really big squeeze that lasted forever. Great kiss. Those things are really important. <laughs> she got a really short haircut that she hated, and I wrote her a note and put it up on the mirror saying that she was a cute girl with cute hair. What have I done for my marriage today? We've actually organized a date night tonight. What have I done for my marriage today? Wow, that is a great question. Uh, I took the baby while she worked. I got up with the baby while he slept. Yeah. <laughs> today, I sent an email to my husband and I said, you rock. Well, I've done today what I usually do, and that is obey. I listened to my wife uh, when we talked on the telephone today. She really likes it when I listen. What have you done for your marriage today? Little things can make a big difference. For ideas, go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. Well, good evening, my brothers. Welcome back to Brothers in Arms. I am Bill Moore, and I'm here with the co-host who is on his third day of a water fast, the master George Rose. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> I struggle with these things. I'll do them, but man, George, the, the muscles of, willful muscles you're developing by doing these water fasts. It's amazing. great, Bill. It's actually the, the fourth month in a row that I'm doing a three-day water fast, and you know, I've done a lot of reading about how, fa how beneficial fasting sure. is, just in general for your health, right? Autophagy, cleaning yep. out all the damage all the to damaged broken cells, cells. Uh, but also how anti-cancer it is. Because when 100%. it cleans out, it, it helps reset your immune system yep. to fight better. And, um, you know, it's it's not that tough anymore, to be honest with you. You know, I drink a lot of water, mm -hmm. some seltzer, drink tea. You could also drink coffee if you want to. Uh, I did have one diet soda yesterday, um, Virgil's, which is uh, erythritol, not, not you know. Yeah, it's, not, a, it's <laughs> an al alcohol-based sugar that uh, really is not metabolized in your body. It just kind of passes through. So be careful. Um, you know, the mother of my children nearly went into a conniption when she put in uh, a a. a a boatload of erythritol into lemonade to try to sweeten it. Every kid, it was like watching, you know, The Exorcist. They were all projectile vomiting within 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, it's much more concentrated than uh, regular sugar. <laughs> Completely harmless. I was fighting. No, no, trust me, they're going to be fine. It's just the body's rejecting it. because You don't put much. in the same amount. Uh, <laughs> it is completely harmless. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, but stevia, like stevia, that kind of stuff is mainly sure, erythritol. Sure. But, sure. Um, so good for you, though. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with that. And, and, my, uh, and, uh, and I have to say, I give a shout-out to Jez Ford because he's doing it along with me. Wow, little yep. little sacrifice. Well, well the, what you're doing for your body, by the way, for also upregulating longevity genes, yep. the whole concept of fasting is falls within the line of hormesis, which is sort of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So mm. that's where exercise comes in. You're basically resetting longevity genes, sirtuins, things like that. You know, anytime you fast, you, you're doing this. Anytime you, you there, there isn't data showing that cold weather and hot weather, saunas and things like that, you're, you're creating hormesis, which actually actually helps the body. Yeah, cold fight. showers are supposed to be very good yeah. too. If you can stand it, like that helps reset the immune system yeah. as well. And a lot of these uh, polyphenols in, in these foods um, actually, they think. Is it polyphenol or polyphenol? 
polyphenols. That's wow. how I, I've always heard it. But what? <laughs> how you, you say polyphenol? I say polyphenol. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, potato, potato. What? Are, what are those? Bill? Well, the, what what they are is when plants are stressed. Yeah. You know wh- whether or not they're being attacked by pests or whether or not the weather is in, in, going into like a famine a situation. They start kicking out these defensive uh, molecules, mm-hmm. polyphenols. And whether or not they directly help us or they are messages to our body that the world is getting lean, you better start mm. getting yourself together. Mm. The, uh, the body actually responds to these and things like, like I said, sirtuins, which repair epigenetic damage and things, they start upregulating them. And again, it all, it all falls in line. So the, these, these polyphenols, exercise, you know, hot, cold therapy, fasting, these, this whole yeah. idea of hormesis is actually can, has been proven to increase longevity in life. Yeah, and, and most Americans don't eat enough vegetables. So you, you lack in the phytonutrients and all that kind of stuff, which are phytochemicals. Found, which which are, are found in these vegetables. Like, yeah. the, like for instance, resveratrol is found in red wine, you know. Yep. Uh, pili, I can't pronounce this one, pilocybine, I, I, I mispronounce it all the time. It's a phytochemical found in blueberries, which is even more potent than resveratrol. Yeah, all so, the dark-colored vegetables, right? I'm sure a lot of people know this at this point, of, you know, broccoli and... And fruits, berries. Dark leafy greens, berries, yep. all that stuff. The darker, the better, right? Because yeah. it usually has more of uh, phytonutrients in it. See, th- this dialogue right now, folks, is an example of how uh, a side topic can just just get carried away. We go in totally different directions that we ever thought. Yeah, we now, now, Billy. <laughs> we want to so, forget about the world. Yeah. So, what do you want to talk about next <laughs> well, on November sixth <laughs> in the United States of America? <laughs> well, you know, Friday. It, it would be remiss of us not to mention it. Um, the reality is, we've had a, a pretty intense election, and and you know what, you know, as as good Catholics, we have to certainly um, take all the different. Uh, measures and and trying to understand what where people stand as it yep. relates to our faith and so forth. The reality is we have a house divided, no doubt about it. Yep. Half the country feels that there's massive voter fraud going on. The other half is saying we just count the votes. It's all legit, right? So we're we're house divided. And as Catholics, how do we yeah. respond to that? You know, we have our own opinions. We're human beings, right? And uh, we have formed, hopefully, formed consciences. I think the reality is we have to be in this moment very prayerful. But I. I I do believe deep down we need to stand up for what we believe in. Yeah. We need to stand. And yeah. you know, if you believe you are you there's we need to stand, but we also have to be open to argument. We have to be open to facts and not be so close to be open mind. to the truth, yeah. Exactly. Right? Just exactly. the truth and, and what reality is. But you know, you know, something I haven't heard people talk about, Billy, and this is kind of interesting, it just came to my mind. Do you know that Joe Biden, if he's elected, would be the second Catholic president ever? Yeah, and we yeah. all know who the first was, JFK, JFK right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, y- you know, I, I think uh, I vote pro-life. That's, to me, the most important issue. This is uh, where that sort of argument gets thrown out, right? Yeah. And it's like, what's up with that? Yeah, so we have a Catholic president uh, who supports, quote-unquote, reproductive rights. Right. You know, and it's kind of like as a Catholic, and, you know, honestly, it's— um, Joe Biden, he he would not if he's going to win the election, and you know you'd rather be sitting in his seat than Donald Trump's right now. I think point, right at this point when this but, is airing. Yes. But if he wins the election, um, you know me as a, as a, you know a devout, I try to be a devout Catholic, I practice my faith, I'm pro life. How do you feel good about that? I mean, I don't, and I get it that you know um, Trump style 
grates on a lot of people. You know, it grates right. on me sometimes, to be honest with you. You know, more a, a lot. But he's pro-life. He's the most pro-life president we've ever had. Well, but you also, know? also religious freedom. And religious freedom. There's a real distinct fear at this point, based on what Biden has said, that church is going to close because he's going to close down the economy again, right? He, he's talked about that. So these are legitimate things. And, and, and again, I, I don't want to side for any one candidate you know yep. we're, we're you know that's not what i'm trying to do but there are some real issues on the table and to your point of of life i was struck today with by the morning meditation that we sent out we forwarded out i should say and it's one by saint Teresa of calcutta and it, and it strikes kind of deep and what she said is the greatest destroyer of peace today is the cry of the innocent unborn child for if a mother can murder her own child what is left for you and me but to kill each other yeah. And um but that's something that needs to be thought about, you know. So again, um I don't I don't wanna make any declarations politically or anything. I mean, I tend yep. to vote based on on values. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm also, you know, to be fair, I'm I'm sort of a when you when it comes to politics, I'm a real small government guy. I don't want big government. Yeah. I just don't. That's just my philosophy unrelated to my faith and so forth. Well in a certain sense it's you know, the Catholic faith talks about subsidiarity, which is the idea of local control right yep. local yep. local <clears throat> political control so that sort of falls more in line with small government but ultimately please, please pray guys please pray even if uh, you're happy with the potential outcomes pray that there is a fair outcome that that the country feels everyone feels yeah that, that it's outcome. legitimate because if half the country feels like uh, uh things weren't handled correctly um it's just going to be the same you know ugly uh, of the ugliness will continue. I think if people feel legitimately that one guy or the other won, um, but I, I, can, like I can live with it. Yeah, sure, sure. I'll be yeah. I can hey, listen, live with it. Listen, <laughs> Obama was my president. You know, yeah, he won uh, legitimately. I, I, did, I didn't vote for him, but he was my president. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Bill Clinton was my president. I, I Truthfully, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. I didn't vote for him, but he was my president. Yeah. Um, we, I think we, everyone, whether you're left, right, center, middle, everyone wants to feel comfortable that, okay, you know, this is my president, and and you know, let's let's move forward. Yeah. So that's all all, all I'm trying to get across. So so bottom line is prayer, and um, fasting, and fasting. <laughs> are, are you, uh, by the way, are you, are you uh, offering up this? Software? Of course, Beautiful. of course. Okay. Yeah. All right. There's you know that that's called um, very. Um, um, what's the term? I'm having a senior moment. Uh, I'm actually having on air. And then by the way, there's a big red sign saying on air right now that reminds me that I'm on air. And it's striking me. Uh, I can't even remember the term I'm looking for uh, about you know a particular type of atonement that fasting actually uh, you're offering your suffering falls in line with what Christ did on the cross. Yeah. Redemptive suffering? No, no, it's not it. It'll come to me all right when the show's done. I, I don't know. Maybe my sirtuins aren't activating right now at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, Billy, there is some other you know interesting stuff going on out there. Shoot. You know, and and this is directly tied to. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Vicarious atonement. Sorry about that, folks. Vicarious atonement. Gotcha. Um, But um, Catholic foster care in Philadelphia. You know, this past Wednesday, Mm -hmm. just two days ago, um, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Fulton versus Philadelphia. And if you're not familiar with that, that's, um, you know, in, in spring of 2018, the city officials in Philadelphia insisted that Catholic Social Services Foster Care Agency, which is a ministry of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, certify same-sex civilly married couples as foster parents. And the agency said, we can't 
do that because it's against our faith, yeah. faith, our teaching, our values. But there's 29 other private placement agencies. Just we'll refer them to them, right? What's the problem with that? But now the city of Philadelphia said, no, we got a problem because, you know, they're, they're unwilling to accommodate these sincerely held religious beliefs. And the city stopped referring children to the agency and has since refused to renew the agency's contract because now all, even though Catholic Social Service has been doing this for 200 years for orphans and, and finding homes for kids without families, um, longer than the city of Philadelphia has been in the business, right? Yeah. Now all these things go through the city of Philadelphia because it's regulated by the government and all that. Um, so two foster mothers of color and the Catholic and the agency filed a suit in the hope of restoring the longstanding foster care program and having uh, you know, a contract with the city of Philadelphia. So um, th- these arguments were heard and it was done, you know, because it's COVID-19, they were done uh, by Zoom or mm-hmm. by video anyway, sure. uh, if not Zoom. And um, uh, Amy Coney Barrett was one of the judges that, that asked questions and is hearing this uh, case right now. So um, we'll see. I, I think it, it seems it's always you don't want to predict in the outcome of a case based on the way judges ask questions. But, right. um, you, you know, but you could tell by by some of the comments that, uh, you know, Judge Samuel Alito, you, you know, remarked during this that if we're honest about what's going on here, it's not about ensuring that same sex couples in Philadelphia have the opportunity to be foster parents. It's the fact that the city can't stand the message that Catholic social services and the archdiocese are sending by continuing to adhere to the old-fashioned view about marriage. Yeah. You know, it's really um it's it's really sad that that the city, you know, is forcing well, they're mandating belief. The they're city, man- exactly. The, the city is saying that you as Catholics have to believe this. Right. Which is putting really And if you don't, we're going to shut you down. Well, it's it's the government <laughs> is becoming religion. Yeah. Right? I mean, ultimately it's it's they're mandating religious belief, and that, and that's a very—it's a big danger for for Catholics out there. Many Catholics fall into this because we're human beings, where political ideology and philosophy trumps even our faith. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, you got to take a step back. Listen, you know, Jesus Christ came and created a church, right? We have the scriptures, we have tradition of the church, we have the words of Christ in the Gospels. This is our faith. And it's going to trump, pardon the pun, trump politics. <laughs> and the reality yeah. is politics for too many people has become your religion. It's not the answer. Politics not. is not the answer. It's a reflection of society, you know. Which... It's not. It will, it, it will always crumble. So anyway, I, I don't mean to digress there. Now, but it, Well, Bill, the other, you know, interesting that, you know, Sonia Sotomayor and Amy Coney Barrett both asked questions about whether ruling for the petitioners would also allow an agency to refuse to work with interracial married couples on religious grounds, um, which is a pretty horrifying you know, prospect. And basically all the justices agreed that it wouldn't undercut that. You know, there's case law. Like, you can't discriminate against yeah, interracial no, no couples. Yeah, no doubt. There's precedent. There's precedent Yeah, but there. as you know, the LGBTQ and that whole thing will be equated to racism and all that. And, yeah. you know, so... Kudos to both of them. Actually, you have a um, you know a left leaning judge Minnesota, and presumably yeah. a right leaning judge, both asking the same question, right, right. and that's been clarified. So good. you can you know uh, disconnect that issue from it being a racism issue, right? right? This is not about racism as 
as uh, people on the left often try to make it. Well, there's a lot of issues. Uh, I mean, this election brought about some really interesting things. I have an article here where Oregon uh, decriminalized hard drugs uh, while four other states actually legalized uh, mm. mar- marijuana. Um, so a, a lot of the issues that even 10 years ago, five years ago even, mm-hmm. would have been unthird- unheard of are, are now in the public square. And, and uh, you know, it, there's arguments for medical marijuana that are beyond the scope of this this radio program, no doubt about it. <laughs> However, I don't think cocaine it falls in the same line or or heroin. I mean, the thought process there was, well, you know, it'll help people get into programs and things like that. It's like that's just absurd. Can you imagine, you know, the likelihood, the reality is if you legalize something, more people will even try it. And we all know the addictive qualities of these drugs and how they destroy Well, a lot lives. of people say, you know, that, that marijuana is a gateway drug. No, they do. And, you know, I'm, that's so not even, I'm not even talking about marijuana. I'm talking about cocaine. The hard drugs. Like, yeah, clearly that stuff. Who, where, where cocaine was legalized? Hard or, drugs? Oregon. Yep. Legalizing of hard drugs based on, on the, the amendment that was passed. Yeah. Frightening, huh? That is frightening. So, uh, you know, again, we are at un, in unprecedented times in our Those history. aren't even gateway drugs. Those are just hard no, drugs. They're just, yeah. they're just mind-altering and, and highly addictive drugs, right? Yeah. And and remember, when, when the pharmaceutical industry gets involved, you're going to be talking about very highly purified versions, <laughs> versions, which in some sense might be good because it's not going to be laced theoretically. But Yeah, it's like going back to the uh, old days when Coca-Cola first came out and yeah, yeah. no, no it, wonder right? I, I needed that coke and a smile <laughs> yeah yeah maybe, let's hope coke, coca-cola maybe they'll have a special uh, brand of you know new coke for uh, it'll, it'll for be Oregon. it'll be coke literally <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give you some fizz <laughs> i'm sorry folks we digress but we we actually got a break we have an amazing guest uh, a dear old friend of ours who just recently retired from the nfl uh we have kellen clemens joining us in just two minutes to so stick around let's find out what he's doing with his life the the rancher that he is i think he's back in washington now great man really great man and uh, we're excited to have him in two and two this is monsignor john kozar national director of the pontifical mission societies in the united states famine and fighting drought and deepest poverty these are the realities of life in southern ethiopia but the one constant thread of hope also present is the good news of jesus through years of hardship missionaries have offered the ethiopian people his love and they see that love in these missionaries who by remaining with them show that the lord never abandons us When we feel abandoned and alone, may we find hope in the same good news of God's abiding love. It's a lesson from the missions. Brought to you by the Pontifical Mission Societies. To learn more about becoming a missionary right where you are, visit our website at onefamilyandmission.org. Remember, if you're baptized, you're a missionary. Through prayer and sacrifice, in word and witness, we're all part of this one family in mission. Here is Mother Angelica speaking about Catholic Radio. There's six billion people, and we've got to reach them all. It's people like you, radio stations like your own. And I hope sincerely that people will support you because we need Catholic Radio. We need Catholic television. And if we don't have it, we shall answer to God for that because we are bound by our baptism to spread the good word. We're bound by that. 
Won't you help us spread the good word by praying for us and by making a tax-deductible gift payable to Domestic Church Media, P.O. Box 7509, Trenton, 08628, or by going to our website, wfjs.org, and making a secure online donation using your Visa or MasterCard. Please contact us today. God love you. We need Catholic Radio. We are bound by our baptism to spread the good word. Well, welcome back, my brothers. This is Bill Maher. I am here with my co-host once again, George Rose. Day four of, or day three of water fast as he cleanses his body (laughs) from cellular damage, upregulating the epigenome through sirtuins and other longevity (laughs) molecules. Folks, fast. It's good for you. But... Not to completely digress, as I can easily do, we are here with a our dear friend uh, out in I think Washington State, Kellen Walla Clemens. Walla Washington, yes. Kellen Clemens. How are you, my brother? You? I'm good, boys. How are you? <laughs> Doing wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Better for hearing you on this day, this Friday, as we are all in a suffering purgatory in life. Not all of us, but yeah, actually the whole country is. Whether you voted for Biden or Trump. Right now, it's 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 stressful. Right now, it is. <laughs> there's, some, there's some serious unrest right now, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I mean, you're the the perfect man in some ways uh, as we as Americans go through this because you're a man that trained his whole life for battle. Now it was battle on the field. Um, it was mental battle, and and what we love so much about you, Kellen, is you you brought your faith in as, as counterbalance but also as a certain sense inspiration to, to make you a better man amid that battle. So how does a, a former NFL quarterback and a great Catholic handle these days? Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Most things are similar in that um, most situations, I guess I should say, that you find yourself in oftentimes are similar in that you control what you can't control. In this case, it's, not in the case of the election, not much. We voted, um, did our part there, um, and uh, and then you hit 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 the rosary beads, um, <laughs> and uh, and and lean on your faith to to um, you know you you use the term counterbalance. Um, to to me, everything that's the that's the hub of the wheel. You know, I've got different folks that go off, but the, the faith and my relationship with Christ. Sacraments. That's the that's the hub of that everything else shoots off of. And as long as I've got, I'm paying the appropriate amount of attention to that part of my life, um, then uh, then then we've got a chance. But when I get out of balance, is when I, um, you know, it's like a tire that gets out of balance and gets out of alignment, and then it starts to make real real bad noises and uh, and can ruin the whole thing if you don't get in and and uh, get to confession and spend some time in adoration and get things realigned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the big, the it. big three, right? You mentioned uh, the rosary, uh, Padre Pio, the weapon, right? I was, I yep. was thinking about um, the rosary uh, last night. I was sort of meditating on it, and I pulled all the kids in and said, "Listen, we need to pray a rosary for our country." And uh, I was thinking about Lepanto, if you recall, you know, Battle when, of Lepanto, when, when the Ottomans were favored to obliterate the uh, Catholic uh, fleet, which was sort of a a conglomeration of city-states trying to come together. But the Pope did something interesting. He called for the, the Christian world to pray the rosary. And the winds changed. 
And there was a route as Don John with an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe on his flagship turned that fleet, right? The power of the rosary. I also thought about, you know, the Battle of Vienna when when the golden apple to the Ottomans, Vienna would have been entranceway, entranceway to all of Europe, was, was ready to fall, just ready to fall. Mm. And then this <clears throat> Polish king, Sobieski, with Our Lady of Chechnyhova as his standard, came rushing in and saved the day. It's Mary. It's Mary, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you really struck a really important chord. We, we really need to go to our mother in these mm. times, for sure. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, as, a, as a country right now, as a Catholic community, we need to be, it needs to be a daily occurrence for us. It should be regardless, but... Um, when we, in, especially in times like this, where when our country needs it so bad, we need her, we need her blessing and her guidance for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and her intercession. Absolutely, and and Kellen, since we had you um, at our conference, uh, was it three years ago? I can't remember now. It's 2017. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> time three, flies. Four seems like three, maybe four. Yep, and um, since then you have retired. So um, I have. Yeah. So I think last year you retired, right? And you're now um, a stay-at-home dad, <laughs> kind of. Or actually, I, I you're, you're working from home, though, too. I am. I'm working from home. I think there's a lot of, quote-unquote, stay-at-home dads that are that are that have been, you know, stay-at-home whether we want to or not, given what COVID in 2020 yeah. has been. Yeah, um, right about that. And, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I did. So 2017 was my last season, but technically I retired in 2018. Yeah. Um, it was part of, and it was partly, um, uh, it was partly, um, you can't fire me, I quit sort of a deal. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't see a seat at the table for me anymore. And, uh, so I guess I'll, take my ball and go home. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but it was good. It was, it was, it was time anyway. My body was starting to tell me that it was time and, and uh, I was excited to kind of figure out next chapters. And, um, and it was a challenge. It was a challenge to kind of figure that out. Um, I kind of did some different job shadows and some internships and some different things and tried to, tried to figure it out. And, um, and it was a great when you're just talking about from, when you're talking about it from a from a spiritual angle um, and to the spiritual lens. It was the mistake that I made was thinking that I could figure it out. Mm-hmm. That was the mistake that I made. I thought I can do this. I can work. I you know in in everything. My my downfall most of the time is thinking. Well, I'll just work really really hard mm-hmm. and I'll figure it out. Mm. And and I finally um, I, I I couldn't I couldn't do it I didn't do it um, and I finally I finally acknowledged or just kind of su- surrendered if you will to the fact that it's not it's not my plan it's not about me it's not about what I want to do um, and it's just a, it's a the pride of it was something that I really struggled with mm. um, if I'm being honest and um, and finally I sat down I was at my kids are going to the Catholic school here in town, and we were. I was sitting there after mass. I told my wife she had taken our youngest. We went to the school mass. I, my wife and I were separated. I said, "All right, we just head home. Let's just spend some time here um, for a while and just pray." And I just, I just, I, I stopped 
and I slowed down and I just said, all right, God, I clearly, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I clearly, I can't, I surrender it all to you, whatever it is, I'm going to stop. I'm going to just put, um, Mike Sweeney has a, has a wonderful illustration that he talks about with a two seater bicycle. And, um, you know, our job is to sit on the back, on the rear seat, but with the fixed handlebars, you know, where you have no, you have no control and just pedal as hard as you can. But your our job is just to be there. And I, I want to be in the front seat. I mm. want to have the steering wheel, uh, you know, the handlebars that move. And, uh, and I, I finally, I just, I, I just got out of, I got out of my own way. I got out of God's way. And I said, all right, God, we'll, we'll switch seats here and, and you take it. I'll pedal and we'll, uh, and we'll go from there. And it's made a, it's made a great difference. Just an inner peace for me, my relationship with him, and and uh, and um, and everything went forward. So wow, what a, that's it's, a, been, that, it's been an interesting process. But that's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah, that is a really good one. I have images it, of the, it, the Quiet Man. Remember when? John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara hopped on that bicycle to get away from Victor McLaughlin. Not Victor McLaughlin, but Barry Fitzgerald. Bill, that's not the image that popped into my mind. But uh, <laughs> there, there, there's Kelly with Maureen O'Hara getting away. It went, it, went, it went to a different direction there. You see, <laughs> I'm punch drunk right now, Kelly. You see, uh, Kelly, you. on your bike, on your two seater, God's driving, driving the bike. On Bill's, Maureen O'Hara's driving the bike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh goodness. exactly that's, that's, that's about the right sentiment right there so uh i have to tell you bill Kel, um kellen and i recently connected because he's working for uh a company uh, tell me if i pronounce it right kellen alatea um uh Alatus. Alatus, yeah that the they published yeah. yeah well no they they do not that one you're thinking alatea i think okay this uh, actually Kellen does, um, it's, uh, uh, how would I describe it? It's a, a behavioral evaluation. So, yeah, you, you we, describe have a, it. Um, we have the most comprehensive behavioral assessment tool in the, in the world. Um, and at, a, at the latest, we're the, we're the exclusive providers in North America. And, and we're using it to help on two sides. Um, we're using it to help companies, um, corporations recruit. Um, build and develop um, their teams. So assessing candidates is the big one. But if you're able mm-hmm. to match, um, when you're able to match a candidate's success profile, what we call it, you know, their, their profile to what you're looking for um, and what you're hiring specifically for the job role, the successful hire rate goes up from, you know, 43% with your, um, you know, t- your traditional hiring practices above 90 so the, oh, wow. the return on investment for companies, even even in you know difficult times like right now, are are significant. Um, and then you know we're able to do team building things and different things like that, internal succession planning. And one of the cool parts about it for us is it's completely diversity. Um, it's it's completely neutral in all of it's. There's no bias. There's mm-hmm. no height, weight, rate, um, age ethnicity there's nothing it's completely just what is it that you know what does your profile look like compared to what we're looking for and it's all data driven that, yeah, it's, that it's, part's been very exciting and kellen and, ba- um, basically it's fun to be a part of yeah kellen basically i mean i took the assessment and you and i spent a lot of time on the phone going over it and it, mm-hmm. it basically just uh 
tells you where your strengths and, and weaknesses, what you like to do and what you don't like to do. And there's a few areas you know, mm. in, in your personality that uh, we're all built that way, right? Sure. Some people are very analytical. Some people are very um, yep. uh, extroverted and outgoing. And it kind of just tells you that. And it helps an employer and, and Kellen and I, Kellen, I think you're tasked with uh, trying to break more into the sports world with it too so that uh, it can help leadership coaches and and general managers and that try to um, understand a little bit better what motivates how their how their players operate. You know, what's this guy's personality in a simple, concise way? So it's very easy to implement and use. So it's like cracking the yes. system to get into the mind. So it's the money ball for hiring. Could be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's similar. It's similar. Yeah, it's it's a similar concept at least. But it's um, you know, on the sports side, then. Because of it, again the comprehensive comprehensivity is that a how what's the word I'm looking for? Because it's so comprehensive, I'll go that way. Too many concussions, fellas. Uh, <laughs> because it's so comprehensive, you know, part of the outputs are emotional intelligence, mental toughness, the various things that are incredibly valuable for someone on the sports side. And so I've taken it and um, and have created um, multiple now just one-page documents, one for the scouting department to understand the makeup of an athlete, and then one for the coach, you know, that, that I can, as an athlete comes on campus, either in, especially in college, but also in, profession, in the professional world, as an athlete comes on or he moves from one team to another, being able to understand the athlete and their preferences of how they want to be coached, how they want to be taught, how they want to be motivated, so that you can have the most impact from the time that you you even start to interact with the athlete. Because at the end of the day, and I experienced this from the other side, as athletes, we are we're we're just assets that are there to be maximized. But this offer this gives a coach the opportunity to, to maximize that asset as much as possible. And then we're talking about um, fulfillment in the workplace for the college athletes. There's a whole other output that we have called a career score report that can help an athlete just understand themselves, right? I mean, if I'm a 19-year-old college athlete that just showed up on campus, there's a lot that I'm still trying to figure out. And this ability to um, give these insights not only to the athlete, but to the career advisor, to the academic counselor to help set that athlete up for life after sport. Because the reality is 96% of us as college athletes don't go pro. And even those of us that do still have to work after our career is done, whether that's one year, two year, even 12 years like myself, we're still, there's still life and work after sports. And so the ability to understand what is it that's going to give me the most fulfillment, I think is going to be really impactful and have a very positive effect. So, so from a professional athlete's point of view, you're helping coaches and, and agents and all the people around these athletes to better understand their uh, where, where, how their the psychological makeup what is. What makes them tick? So that maybe yeah. they, that they can come tick. up with a plan there's to help you know, them. There's yeah. some people that you just that you click with, and there's some people that you don't. And the idea is, the idea behind what for us is our speed to performance guide, the idea behind it is to help. Coaching isn't a one-size-fits-all. I mean, you guys, you know, the way that you parent one child and you know what buttons to push and you know how to motivate them is different than you do with another. Absolutely, and 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 it's, you know some of your close coworkers, and you're able to do that and understand and understand those those people, those individuals, whether that's your children, your spouse, your close coworkers, whatever. But you're able to do that because you spent time with them and you've gotten to know them. 
Well, especially in the NCAA or even in professional sports, you're limited with the amount of time that you have to spend with the athlete. So a lot of it's guess and check. Sometimes it takes six months, 12 months, 16 months. Sometimes you never figure it out what it is that makes the athlete quit. So this is a way to just wade through and circumvent that entire process. I'm like, okay, now I understand exactly the way that I need to try to connect with you and motivate you and reach with you in a way that is going to be most impactful for you. Not the way it's not the way that I want to be coached because you know I can do that. That's our natural tendency is to coach or to love others as we would want to be coached or loved. But what what's most impactful is when we can do it to the way that our the person that we're trying to reach. It's not about how we send the message, it's how it ultimately is received, and this is the ability to shoot. Kellen, um, Kellen that's uh, that, that. That, that's awesome stuff. And full disclosure, Bill, I am helping yeah. Kellen to uh, in, get introduced to the Yankees to see if this might be something that uh, the team would like to use. So it, I think it's, well, it's, it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and we're doing a major expansion for specialists, sales specialists in my company. And I'm thinking, Kellen, you and I got to talk offline. There you go. Love to. Wow, is Love this the first to. the first yeah. time uh, business has uh, ever been? You know, sales call has ever happened on the show. <laughs> it's the way God works, right? <laughs> but Kellen, I'm, you know, g- getting into this though for you, um, I know it was. Um, you know, you you retired as a young man, thirty five years old, and yep. for most a lot of us, you know, I wasn't even married at that point in my life. I didn't get married till I was thirty seven. My first child, my only child, was born at thirty nine. You know, when I was younger, I had to sow my oats and, and uh, you know, there was a little bit of a delay in, in really becoming a mature man uh, on my end. Um, some struggles mm-hmm. with with uh, alcohol and, and drugs and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, I know that you you're such a spiritual guy and, and you and, and the way you approach things like how did you really come to this decision that this is the right move for me like this company because i could tell just the way you talk about it and share about it that this isn't Mm -hmm. just a job for you this is also like vocational there's a probably a missionary aspect to it too where you're you're helping you're making a positive contribution to the world to your clients and i'm sure that's has driven you to you know giving you the motivation to do this but how how did how did this all come about for you gosh you know what it's very similar to just, I mean, it's even what's happened on this phone call a little bit. Sometimes, a lot of times it's just who you know. Um, and, uh, and again, just kind of getting out of your own way a little bit too. I, when I first got out, when I first got done playing, I thought, because I have an agriculture background, I grew up on a cattle ranch. And, and I thought, well, uh, I'd like to, maybe I'll, I'll try agricultural real estate. I, you know, it's, I, I've missed so much of, I, I kind of started the other way, George. I, I was um, married a few days after I turned 22 and we started having kids just as quickly as we can. We've got four now. And, um, and I'm, you know, I missed a lot when I was, when I was playing, there's no sick days. I couldn't call in and say, Hey, I'm not coming in on Wednesday afternoon because I've got a, you know, my daughter's in a Christmas recital and she's mm. going to be the blessed mother in the Christmas program. I don't, I don't get, I didn't get to do that. And yeah. so I knew in my next life career chapter that I wanted to be able to be a more present father than what I was um, previously. So I, I tried the agricultural real estate and to be quite frank, and this isn't a not, it wasn't a knock on, not as a knock on all real estate, but there was just some, there was some ethical stuff, some ethical things that I 
experienced and was witness to um, that I just wasn't comfortable with. Mm. I just wasn't. And the, you know, the challenge for me at the time was it was, you know, it's a buildup real estate, a little bit of a buildup. And I had, I had done the whole runway bit to it and we were starting to get wheels in the air and I was starting to come make some money. And there was more money on the, on the, on the horizon, on the very near horizon. And I was like, and I hadn't had an income in 18 months at that, well, 12 months at that point. And I was like, shoot, I, this would, <laughs> I really would like to kind of stay and see some of the fruits of my, you know, my labor, but sure. I, it, it would just, from an ethical standpoint, it just wasn't, it wasn't anything that I wanted to be a part of. It wasn't anything that, that Christ would be looking to, looking at me going, is this really, is this even a decision that you're, you're pondering for more than five seconds? Um, and again, you know, I was in the front seat of that two-seater bicycle at the time. Now I was pedaling and steering and dodging boulders and, and, uh, and, uh, um, that kind of, that eventually was a big part of what pushed me to the back. I'm like, clearly I'm not making the right decisions here, Christ. So I'm going to, I'm going to get in my place and you get in your place. And then, you know, and, and it all kind of faded away. I got, and, and, and it was funny because just a couple of days after I made that decision and I had that conversation, um, with Christ sitting in the church, I, I got a phone call from just a guy that I'd met that was like, Hey, this is what we're doing. Would you be interested in being a part of it? Um, and wow. it, it was really, it was, you know, God bumps, uh, you know, I think is the term, um, um, goosebumps, but they're related to God. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was what brought me to it. And then I just hit the ground running and it has been, it's been very fulfilling. It's interesting, George, in my career, I didn't play a ton mm-hmm. over a 12 year career, but I, I carved out a role as someone who could just be, I understood teams. I understood what the dynamic of was of a of a locker room, and how to manage it, um, and how to you know effectively kind of make sure that it, it was it was I was managing locker rooms is what mm-hmm. I was doing, and I was helping young athletes um, navigate not only how to prepare for life on the field, but how to prepare for life off the field. That's great, um, and, and life it sounds after like... sport because so. It's, Sorry. No, it's, hey. it sounds like that's what you're doing now. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, and you, that, and, and Kel- that's, the, that's the part that's so fulfilling for that's me. Awesome. Is Kellen, that, that is awesome. And, you know, yeah. I hate to say this, but we're uh, – we're, we're out of time. <laughs> I can get long-winded. My apologies. That's all right. No, oh. it's actually a good ending point, you know, because uh, you followed your conscience, you yes, know, and, and you're following what, what God's plan is in your life. And telling our, the man and telling us how you go about doing that is so helpful to us. Yeah, and you know what, yeah. Kellen? It was God in that bicycle, not Maureen O'Hara. <laughs> my, my, my brother, we wish you well. What the final destination is on that bike? God bless you, God bless. Yeah, thanks God for bless, coming guys. on. God bless, guys. Be safe out there this Friday. Pray, pray, pray. Go to Mary. Salinas Casey. God bless you, brothers, and see you in a month.